So if we can open up to the book of Jeremiah. Here's a show of hands. Um, it might be a little out there, but um, has anyone ever read the book Run With Horses by Eugene Peterson? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> it's the next step. I highly advise, I mean, I'll be honest, I only read half of it and I left it on the plane. I don't know where it is now, but hopefully in the hands of a good person. But, or a bad person, made good, but... Yeah, exactly. Uh, you may want to check that book out, especially you, uh, you males out there. If, if this service, or rather this sermon, <clears throat> hits you somewhere. Run With Horses by Eugene Peterson. What a case would be, uh, let's take a look at the book of Jeremiah. We begin with Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. I'm just getting a little intro here. It says, The words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anatolt in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah the son of Amon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. Uh, we have a couple names here. Jeremiah, Hilkiah, Benjamin, but also... Josiah. Any of those names uh, stand out to you from uh, last week? Jeremiah. Anyone remember from last week? What's that? Yeah, Hilkiah or Hilkiah, yep. He, uh, he was the priest that finds the word of the Lord in the back of the temple. So scholars believe that last week we were talking about Josiah, right, the, the king, uh, and that during the time of Hilkiah, when he was a priest, he found the law of the Lord. No one was reading the scriptures because there was no scripture to read. He finds it in the back of the temple, like in the closet, if you will. He brings it out and the people got the word of the Lord again. Now, Hilkiah has a son. His son is Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. It doesn't tell you specifically that it's the same, but many scholars say it most likely is. Hilkiah is not a very popular name. So, Jeremiah is at this time, uh, he, his dad is the priest, um, Josiah is on the throne, things are good. The word of the Lord comes back to man, a righteous king is on the throne, there's a good priest that is doing his thing, like, things are good, but things are going to get bad as usual, right? If we can go to uh, the first slide, um, Jeremiah, right, the prophet, uh, if I remember correctly throughout life, it seems to be that most of us know two really main popular verses in Jeremiah. Uh, if you don't, that's okay. But these are like the real two big ones a lot of people like to quote. 31, 31. Yeah, well, that, that, that as well. But more, I, I would say, oh, I wrote that twice. That's really funny. So I copied and pasted that as I changed the picture. Uh, but that's okay. I'm just going to read it to you. Jeremiah 1, 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nation. So a lot of people reference that verse, before I formed you in the womb, I even knew you, right? Uh, and then the other verse is Jeremiah uh, 29, 11, uh, which is, I know the plans and the hopes I have for you, right? For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you, right? right? I know the plans, I know the hopes, I know the future I have you of goodness, of blessing, not of evil. And I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah. So both of these verses, which are not necessarily on there, but I just read to you, are the more common verses when it comes to understanding Jeremiah that a lot of people like to make mention of. Uh, but between Jeremiah chapter 1 
and Jeremiah chapter 29, there's a lot of other stuff happening. There's a lot of difficulty that's happening. Actually, there's, there's so much difficulty uh, that I would say that it's actually going to bring maturation or make Jeremiah mature in the spirit. There's like 28 chapters of nonsense, of nuttiness that's going to take place. And so let's give a little background of what's going on in these 28 chapters, right? First off, Jeremiah is born. His name is Yermiahu, uh, which literally in the most raw form in Hebrew means God throws out there. I don't mean it's thrown in the trash. I mean just like you're thrown out into the scurry, right? In a lot of your commentaries will say that God sends or God is his foundation. But the real root here is that God is taking Jeremiah in his name and throwing him out into the, the, into the midst of things. Into the hustle and bustle. Because he's got a calling on his life. During Josiah's reign, right, we said Achaia's son, Jeremiah, is going to be appointed a prophet by God. But then Josiah dies. At the time of the righteous king falls away. And things start to get messy again. In fact, one priest underneath the new king, is so jealous of Jeremiah and the word that he's getting from the Lord that he actually plots to kill Jeremiah. God, uh, or rather, Jeremiah cries out to God and says, what's going on? I'm supposed to be your prophet unto the nations and all this awesome, awesome stuff. I mean, you, you, you formed me in my mother's womb, you know, all this great stuff. What's going on? And God's response is something that we would not want to hear. And God says, well, actually, Jeremiah, things are going to get worse. Yeah, he's like, what? And then things get worse. Uh, the high official priest, Pashur, uh, he's the temple official. He's going to throw Jeremiah in the stocks for one day. Like old school, like, you know, the stock in the wood, and you sit there, right, no eating, no drinking, or anything, for one day. Because of the word that he's bringing forth to Israel, and to Judah, repent. You're sinning. You're going after the wrong gods. And so the priest is like, get out of here. We're putting you in the stocks. Until you, you know, shut up, more or less. He gets out of the stocks. Then other supposed prophets start to tell everyone, Jeremiah is a madman, he's a false prophet, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And there's so much fervency that is built up that in Jeremiah actually 38, he's arrested by the king, he's thrown into a pit of mud, and he's left there to rot. No food, no drink. After I don't know how much time goes by, uh, one of the officials, lower rung officials, has pity on Jeremiah. He remembers the day of Josiah. He remembers the day of Jeremiah's father, Hilkiah. And he pleads before the king and says, come on. He's going to starve to death if you don't let him out. So the king takes him out. Now the result of all of this, or in the process of this difficulty, there's a hard verse to stomach. Let me go to the uh, next slide, please. But a very powerful verse. This is Jeremiah crying out to the Lord, like, this is really tough, this is really difficult. And the Lord responds, Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? And so what this is, means here is Jeremiah is getting beat back through all this difficulty. He's having trouble going up against people. The things that they're saying, 
and their disobedience before the Lord. His life is tough as a prophet. And he complains, or he questions, and he's worried, and he's anxious, which is, I mean, pretty understandable. The Lord's response is, man, if you are having difficulty now, how on earth are you going to be able to do those things which I've called you to do? Hire things. Run with horses. If you can't run with men, how are you going to run with horses? If you're getting tired and beat back just by going through the things with men, how are you going to handle the bigger things, the stronger things, the more wild things? You see, what's happening here is God is saying unto Jeremiah, I know that you are seeing this difficulty, but I've called you to, I've called you to so much more than what you can even imagine. I've called you to run with horses. I've called you not just to call out the sins of men and pray forth repentance for all of Israel, but I've called you to pray and tear down spirits and strongholds and principalities that are governing over Israel and Judah. And if you're tired going up against a king, how much more difficult will it be when you're speaking and praying up against principalities and demons? Um, he's calling Jeremiah to be a prophet to the Israel, to the nations. He's calling him to be a prayer warrior, an intercessor, to tear down strongholds and spiritual principalities that are hovering over earth. So Jeremiah, this is like the minors. I'm bringing you to the majors. Now I'm saying all of this because this is our calling. Our calling is so much more than even sharing the gospel with a family member or sharing the gospel with an employee, although those are big things. But those are the things of still men. The Lord wants us to run with horses. He wants us to go to the next level of the increase, of more difficult challenges. That we're actually called to pray against demonic forces as we were doing today. If we're having difficulty sharing the gospel with someone at work, or being a light unto them, let me tell you something, it's going to be even more difficult when you go up to a co-worker that is dealing with a disease and command a disease to, to leave in Jesus' name. That's what we're talking about here, right? There's the one level, and then there's the other level. One of men and one of horses. So, let's pause here a little bit, and I, I want to talk about, really, the, 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 that's a little bit of Jeremiah, but how do we come into this? Uh, if we go to the, the next slide here. Um, this verse of Jeremiah 12.5 really was touching my heart about the need for men in particular, but I think all of us, to redeem the wild within. It's maybe a little strange to say. I feel... Over time, modern humanity has become domesticated. Too domesticated. The Lord has called us to be wild, free, liberating, crazy earth changers. But the spirit of the world comes in and makes us domesticated. Makes us tame. Our culture 
our society comes up around us. We become so domesticated that we can even barely run with men anymore, let alone with horses. We become so domesticated by our opinions of what people will think of us that we don't even declare the gospel, let alone pray for the sick, demand the dead to be raised. Let me go to the next slide. So what do I mean here, wild? Wild. Wild. Something that's wild lives in nature and isn't tamed. Your pet poodle isn't wild, but the groundhog that lives underneath your garden shed is wild. The Lord has formed us, particularly men, but also women, particularly men, to be not tamed. I mean, tamed to the Spirit. Tamed to the things of the Lord, but not tamed in the sense of being a domesticated thing that just goes through the doldrums of life with no passion, no love, no excitement. One of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. You're like, oh, it's the birth of your children. That was very beautiful too, but I'm, I'm going to be real. I'm sorry, honey. One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen was when I was out in Montana a couple years ago. And we were living on, we were spending a couple days on a ranch. And there was a dog that was domesticated. But the rancher put it on the back of a pickup truck. They drove out into the middle of the range. He told the dog to get out and get the horses. And that dog ran out into the pasture, this, I mean, open acreage, going after the horses and helping crown them. Actually, he got a hoof to the forehead. And there was blood coming out of his, at his head. I was like, oh my goodness. And he's like, oh, that's nothing. He's fine. And the dog was the happiest thing I have ever seen in my life. Because that domesticated dog had a chance to be wild again. To run out into the field, run amongst the mountains, run and smell the horses. To do a job, to feel the cold, march, cold, cold air of Montana going through his fur. He was doing what he was meant to do. Now a bunch of us, if I may speak so frankly, have lost the understanding of what it's like to have the spiritual air and wind to go through our fur again, and our hair and our spirit again. We've become tamed. Now I wake up, put on my toast, get my coffee, go to work, come back. Man, if we really looked at it, we're just domesticated poodles. It's the truth. Look, I mean, there's, this is great. This is great uh, conversation that takes place between the lion, the tiger, and the wolf. Oh, I'm sorry, the bear and the lion and the wolf. The bear and the lion go to the wolf and say, Ha ah, ha, you little wolf, we are so much stronger than you. We can, one swap of a, of a, of, of, of a bear's claw can wipe out a wolf. The lion says, ha ha, my teeth, all I have to do is just bite it, it's going to puncture you like it's nothing. Wolf, you are nothing. And the wolf, in a very cunning way, goes to the bear and to the lion and says, yes, you may be more powerful than I, but I, we, the wolves, we don't perform in the circus. With a lot of people in life, the lions, the tigers, the bears, oh my, they're very powerful, prideful, wealthy people, but they're still in the circus. We're called to be wild 
crazy lovers of Jesus that do not perform circus tricks for the spirit of the world. We're to go out and be crazy sharing the gospel, loving people, showing the joy of the Lord. I can almost completely guarantee you, because I've been there in my own life, if you are down, melancholy, anxious, not happy, whatever you want to call it, I can almost 100% tell you, I can't 100% because I'm not a trained counselor as Kate, but I would, I, would, I would tell you that part of it, part of it, is because you may be living a domesticated life. There's no time for, for unhappiness when you are on fire for Jesus, telling people about the Lord, calling up the raising of the dead. Look, I, look, look, I struggle, I'll be honest. January, March, my wife will tell you. April, I start getting a little, mm, the sun's not out, I'm in the doldrums, and I really, I'm telling you, I really got to dig in deep. I really got to dig in deep. I don't know if it's that seasonal effectiveness disorder that they talk about. I don't know what it is, but I know at that time of the year, I got to dig in deep in the word of the Lord and remind myself that I am not a dog. I'm a wild animal in the kingdom of God. So, let's go to the next slide. Unfortunately, Alan and I were trying to figure this out. Can't really read it in the back, but I'm going to read it to you. It's uh, pretty cool. I use, actually use it in my classroom. On the top is a picture of, uh, of, uh, of the Romans fighting. It says, hard times create strong men. The next one down is the glory of Rome. It says, strong men create good times. The next one down below it is, 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 is Rome in the midst of its heathenism, in its pleasure, in its, in its complete disgusting sin. And it says, but good times create weak men. And then the last one is when Rome is being sacked by the barbarians. Weak men create hard times again. So I'm going to read that again, quicker. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. I don't know where we are on this level of things, but I can assure you this. Many of us, I don't know who you are, but if I take a look at a culture, of a church culture across the world, we've become relatively weak in comparison to past times. And some of us are really roaring, some of us are really strong, some of us are really going to town. But as a complete body, many of us have gotten a little too domesticated. And it's not completely our fault, although it is. It's a cultural paradigm. It's a cultural thing. We live in such abundance, in such goodness, that we don't have to go out, I want to put it in earthly terms, you don't have to go out and kill a deer, right? You don't have to go out and build your own home. You don't have to go out and, you know, fight off invaders and all this kind of stuff, which thank you, Lord, for that, right? That's physical stuff. And so maybe even physically we've gotten a little soft or weak. I don't know. I do know, but it wouldn't be right to say. But in the spirit, the same principle happens. Good times can create this kind of tamed mentality. If you go to a domesticated dog and get inside of his head and be like, yo, we can take you out into the wilderness and you can be free. That little dog inside of its mind would probably look at us and be like, no, thank you. This place is heated. 
You groom me a couple times a year. You cut my nails. You give me food that I can just nibble on, and sometimes if I don't like that, you actually give me food that is soft, so it just melts in my mouth. Yeah, man, but do you know what it would be like for you to run out in the prairie and track down a deer and kill it yourself? No, I do not want to know what that feels like. I don't want to leave. You kidding me? It's like so great. But if you do see a dog, an animal running in the way in which it was designed, it's like it's one of those glorious, beautiful things. So let's talk about this a little bit, this domestication process. How does, in fact, a boy become a man in our society? How does a woman, or rather a, a, a girl, become a woman? And we will relate this to the things of the Spirit. This is a, a very perplexing problem, as some sociologists look at. They say maybe, quite possibly, part of our problem in our society is that we do not have a rite of passage. In our society, when does a little girl become a woman? When does a boy become a man? This is part of the problem of, of our culture. I don't know, when you get a driver's license? Well, not really, because you're not a legal adult. All right, when you turn 18, well, kind of, but you, you, know, you couldn't even buy, what, at 21? Uh, you couldn't even buy a uh, wine, or you couldn't, can't even rent a car until you're 24. Our society doesn't really have a moment in time when a man or a woman becomes an adult. It's very peculiar. It's actually one of the first times in, in human history that we have this dilemma. So many kids, in my belief, teaching 17-year-olds, 8-year-olds, what their rite of passage of becoming adult is, is going to college without their parents' supervision, carry on like a child. Binge drink, promiscuous sex, late nights. They actually are prolonging childhood with these substances. I talk to kids all the time in high school, like, why do you want to go to college so bad? Like, to be an enlightened individual so you know how the cosmos work. Or to go out and get a red solo cup and go play beer pong. This is a failure in our culture. How does a boy become a man in North American culture? He is not a man until he's able to go out and kill a deer for his future family with either a bow or a knife. Can you imagine killing a deer for your family with just a knife? You're not a man. You can't get married until you do that. Uh, in Judaism, they have the bar mitzvah or the bat mitzvah. Bar, son of, bat, daughter of. Mitzvah, commandment. You are the son or the daughter of the commandment. And now you are an adult and you are held responsible before the Lord for your actions. In Israel, it's when you turn 12. In America, it's when you turn 13. They're saying, you are now accountable as an adult. I will treat you like a man. I will treat you like a woman because you're taking on the bar mitzvah. You're taking on the anointing, the calling of being accountable to the word of the Lord. Now, that may not have as much weight today, but 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, in, in Judaism, this had very, very big significance. My personal favorite, in Sparta, when did a boy become a man? By the age of 14 or 15, a Spartan boy, a Spartan man, would be such a trained soldier, warrior, and killer 
that at the age of 14, the barbarians to the north and to the east would quiver in their armor knowing that these 14, 15-year-old boys were coming to go fight. Because their whole life they're training for battle, training for battle, training for battle. And at 14, they were the best soldiers in the world at that time. Us, go get a red solo cup. Go to college, act like an idiot, and now you're an adult. This has a tendency to leak into the things of the spirit. There's many people who are still living the life of a child. We're boy men. But you see, our destiny that Jeremiah is being called upon is you are getting tired of the things of the world. I've called you to greater things. I've called you to be a warrior. Called you to be like a Spartan warrior in the spirit. That's our calling as men. That's our calling as women. The things of the earth have a tendency to make us domesticate, to make us tame, to capitulate to the things. Can I get a name, Anderson? Mike, did you get that, uh, that, that link I sent you last night? It was awesome, wasn't it? I was going over stuff. I was getting into some J Chet Baker, some jazz music. I was like, oh, Michael, Michael Hampton has to hear this. All right, let me go to the next slide. How do you know if you've become domesticated? This picture cracks me up. This is a French bull terrier. A bull terrier. You know what they originally were bred to do? Kill bulls, pit bulls, bulldogs. Those were bred to go track down a bull with horns as a pack and tear him down to the ground. And now he's sitting in a carpet in the AC with a ball that you bought at Petco. The 1999 one is made out of plastic, but you know, you can't do that for your dog. What's a good name for him? Sammy. No, we have a Sammy here, so I want to say that. $19.99 is for the plastic. $39.99 is for the organic, you know, BPA-free plastic for your dog. So you bought that one for him. No, what I'm getting at is like, that, that dog's ancestors was a warrior. Was a warrior, man. Tearing down bulls, corralling bulls. Going into the frenzy. And now he's bored. He's bored. He's bored. How do you know if you have become domesticated in our own lives? You're bored is a big thing, right? But let's, let's break this down a little bit. Let's get, let's get a little spiritual here. To be wild, free, and liberated. No chains connected. No leash holding me back except for the leash of the spirit. Things can't get you, man, if you're running. Things of the world cannot get you when you're running with horses. They simply can't keep up. So when the things of the world start to catch up to us, it must mean that we're slowing down in the spirit. We're becoming domesticated. We're getting a little weary because we're afraid to drink the, the puddle outside because we didn't take our heartworm medicine yet. Any of you are dog owners, you know what I'm talking about. I can't run in that grass. I'm going to get a tick. I get my heart guard on yet. Now, heart guard is for the heart, right? Whatever, you, I forget. So how do you know if you've become domesticated? Uh, if the things of the world start to catch up to you, it must mean that you are not running the race of wild things. And so what are these things? One, if you blame others. 
the wolf doesn't go to the other wolf in the pack and you know, blame them. We've got to do this together to take down that deer. It's the only way we're going to survive. If you blame others, if you complain, it's too, too hot in here. It's too cold in here. Invention of air conditioning like 40 years ago. What did mankind do? For 10,000 years, minus 40. But fine, not complaining about the weather. Some of us complain about this. You know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, we're gossipers, we're complaining, we're blaming, we're all cranky about things and people. Uh, I love this one. You quit and you run away from adversity. That dog runs away from a squirrel. <laughs> right? Like that wild groundhog underneath the shed, that, pit, that, that French bull terrier is not going after that groundhog. It used to go after bulls, and now it's like, oh my god, it's a groundhog. So we have become tamed. If you're looking at adversity, and we shrink back from it, we get afraid and scared, we forgot what it was like to walk in the wild of the garden again. Be raptured by the Father's love, raptured by His goodness, walking through the days of the wilderness, seeing the fire by day, or fire by night, and the cloud by day. Looking at the giants of the land and be like, get on out of here, I trust and believe in my Lord. Ah, you uncircumcised Philistine, get out of here. You come after me with the armies of the world, I'll come out with you, the army of horses, man. The armies of, of, of heaven. So we see our problems, we see those things and they're creeping up and they're catching up to us. You become tamed. Your circumstances aren't supposed to dictate what you think in your reality. Your reality of the spirit dictates what happens to the circumstances. Things come up against you, you're like, Psh, I'm not a tamed dog. I am a wild son of God, free oh, and excited about life. Fourth thing. It's either, these, a lot of these things are, are, you know, I'll be honest, but a lot of these things are both physical and spiritual, right? And so the next one is, is, is quite, uh, quite uh, physical and spiritual as well. If you are lazy. If you are a lazy human being. If you're a lazy human being. Like, you don't put your wash away. You don't cut the lawn. You don't go out and, like, get groceries for your family because you just don't feel like it. Be honest. It's not the things of, of, of adults. Now, in the spirit, we can say we're lazy as well, right? We're not tackling the next, the next mountain, right? We're not praying into things. We're not spending that time with the Lord. Now, another one is you, you, you may live in fear, right? Fear is listening to the voice of the enemy, not the voice of love of the Father. So when you're tamed, that's when you start getting afraid. That's the dog. I don't want to go out. It's too cold out. It's too hot outside. I'm going to stay in the air conditioning because it's, it's just too much for the dog, not for us, per se. You're afraid of that which is out there. You're afraid. You're afraid. You're afraid. Uh, and I think the uh, last one right there is going to be the insecurity. If you're insecure, right? You don't know what you are. You don't know what you are. Am I domesticated or am I wild? Am I a dog that gets afraid of the groundhog? 
Or am I a wolf that looks at that groundhog and one bite, over? Insecurity comes from not knowing your identity and who you are. Yes, we are sons. Yes, we are daughters. But what does that mean? What does that look like? We've spent a lot of time over the last couple of months depicting that. But part of that is to be wild and free, not to be tamed by the culture of what's going on. If you have the worship team, come on down, please. Um, if you can go to the, to the next slide here. Essentially, what I am saying here is Jeremiah needed a little wake-up call to man on up, pony up, right? And I know in my life there are times that I need that. I need that. And I'm assuming that you guys may need that at times as well. It's not me in judgment saying, hey, you know, this, that, or the other thing. Look, I'm in the same place. But I do know that I want to do what I was born to do. I do know that I was born not to run with men, but to run with horses. I know that I was born not to sit on a carpet in an air-conditioned room and be domesticated. I was meant to go out to the ends of the earth and preach the good news. Now, we can say that physically, but I'm really tapping into the spirit. If you're in the air-conditioning, but you're tapping into the frontiers of the spirit, man, you are a wild person. It doesn't matter about the environment, it matters the environment of the spirit and the mind. This is not about being wild and crazy and a tough guy that you got to drive a motorcycle, that you go hunting and fishing and drive a pickup truck. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is a man or a woman of God that understands his wildness inside of him or her. Understands these principles. You're responsible. You bear responsibility. That's what an adult is. I'm not on mommy's insurance anymore. I am a grown man running my own household. It's not being able to procreate and have children. It's a matter of moving into the things of your own, right? And this is not just physical. This is spiritual. Do you have spiritual responsibility? My dog, dogs, plural, my house, they have no responsibility. Hi, now can you think of anything that we expect the dogs to not like not to poo on the floor? That's about their responsibility. Yeah, they don't really do that. I mean they're big. I did for a week. You remember that? That was an awesome dog. Yeah, they're big, right? Look, man, domesticated things in the spirit, they don't do anything. There's nothing thought of them. There, there's no requirement. There's no responsibility. In a pack, in the wild, man, if, if, if you're just sitting there not doing anything, you die. You die. Come on. You got to get out there and run with the pack. You got to get out there and tear down the deer. You got to get out there and find a new food source. You got to go out there and do something. So, men and women of God that are tamed, not tamed, but wild Wild ones, wild ones, carefree, full of energy, full of the Spirit of God, are those who bear responsibility. I'm not saying you have to be the leader of a church. That's not what I'm saying. You bear spiritual responsibility. You pray for your wife. You pray for your husband. You pray for your kids. You pray for your neighbors. You're involved in the things of the Spirit. It doesn't mean it looks like this. Come on. Something that looks different in the Spirit. 
Another thing is, I, I think, is that if you have lost your passion and love for the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, you've become a tamed bull terrier sitting in the air conditioning. You've lost the essence of passion and love in your life. From the book Run With Horses by Eugene Peterson, he says this, The terrible threat is that we might die earlier than we really die. Like life is sucked out of you. The real threat of humanity is that you might die earlier than you really die. The real horror lies in just a premature death, a death, death after which we go on living for many years. When that life gets sucked out of you and you have no reason or cause anymore to live and to wake up anymore. That's the death that people fear. That's the death of domestication. A wolf must get up in the morning and has a purpose to his life because he needs to keep going on because there's things that have to get done. And that's what it has to be in the spirit. It's at this point that Jeremiah himself is saying this to God. He's capitulating. He's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. This is too hard. I don't know if I can do it. And this is when the Lord says, come on, Jeremiah. I've made you and created you to run not with men, to run with horses, to do wild things and important things. God's response to us is really one of, I called you to live a life of purpose far beyond what you think yourself capable of living and promised you adequate strength to fulfill your destiny. You can go back one. That little dog has no concept of his destiny. None. But man, our destiny is awesome. His word of his power of the testimony and destiny of us is so unbelievable. Psalms 115.16 says, The heavens are the Lord, but the earth He has given unto man. The problems that are out there, it's because of men. We were given this earth to govern as a garden. We were given this earth to govern. Sickness, not on my watch. We pray. Racial tension, not on my watch. We pray in the spirit. Hurricanes coming from Florida, not on my watch. Oh Lord, you direct the path of the lightning bolt, it says in Job. Just go forward again, please. The passion, the love again. We have tamed the passion and love of the Father towards him. He is a radical, crazy lover. I mean, so crazy that the Song of Solomon almost did not make it into canon. The early Christians, the early fathers were looking at the Song of Solomon from the book of, from the Old Testament, from the Hebrews, and they're like, this is kind of like rated R stuff. If you really read it. Now I want to skip over some things because we have youngins here. But it's passionate love of a groom for his bride. That's a wild passion love that he has for us. And what he expects from us. Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, chapter 4. This is God essentially, right, as a character speaking to the bride. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. You're, you're pure. Verse 9. You have ravished you have ravished my heart. 
You don't have my heart. You ravish it with one look of your eyes and with one link of your necklace. You ravish my heart. This is God speaking to the bride. Like, we give him one glaze up into heaven and ravish his heart. He's like, you just gave me a wink. Oh. I know, it's like, we're like, ooh, we don't want to talk about God like that. I'm not talking about a romantic sense. Some some is using romantic imagery to show us the passion and love that God has for us. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine and I will return to him. How fair is your love? How much better than wine is your love? And the scent of your perfumes and all the spices. Crazy stuff. In closing up, Romans chapter 8. I want to read this. It's a little more lengthy, but please, if you have your Bibles, open it up. Because I think this does a nice job of just solidifying and, and bringing forth the reality of the wildness within. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, he also was risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the passionate, ravishing love? Of Christ. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, as it is written for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But yet in all these things, through Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is written by a ravished lover of God. This is written by Paul, a wild man for God. You're more than a conqueror. A wolf says that. Not a dog. A wolf says, ah, there's a cold winter come, but there's nothing that's going to beat the back the herd or beat back the pack. So, be crazy. Be wild. You're loud. Be free. Have an untamed spirit that is tamed by the Spirit of God. Have an untamed spirit that the world tries to tame in its own way. Be untamed and wild and free and be tamed by the Spirit. But what's so awesome is the Spirit of God brings a, a tameness that is like this beautiful wildness that has order to it. And a purpose for your life. When the Lord leave or left the earth, when the last thing He says to His disciples is, you know what? Go. Go. Leave the air conditioning. Leave the carpet. Leave the order. Leave what you know and go into the nations. Preach forth the gospel. That's pretty crazy, Lord. Yeah, that's not crazy enough, though. What do you mean it's not crazy? That's just the things of men. 
I want you to run with the wild things of horses. But going into other nations and proclaiming, God, that's pretty crazy, Lord. No, it's just simply not crazy enough. Go, put your hands on the sick and watch them be healed. Speak in new tongues. Trample on serpents and not receive its poison. Speak to the dead and say, get on up and get alive again. That's the thing of wild things. That's the thing of sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's the thing of people that are not domesticated, not tamed. People that are wild, free in the love and passion of the Lord. So we pray, Father, let us awaken to the charge of Jeremiah that says, Oh, I don't want you to run with men. I want you to run with horses. I've called you to bigger things. I've called you to greater things. Father, I pray right now that those of us that are sitting inside the cages of domestication, those of us are mere birds who are sitting in a cage that don't even understand and, and it doesn't, they don't even realize anymore that they were called to be eagles flying and soaring. But we've spent so much time in our cage barely twitting like a canary. Father, show us what it means to open the door again. Show us again to peel back the bars. Show us again what it's like to feel that breath, that wind, that coldness, the rawness of life coming through our, our cackles again. Stir in us. Stir in us the passion of love. Don't let our love grow cold, as it says in Revelation, because you will spit us and spew us out of our mouth, or your mouth. Father, don't let the love grow cold again. Lord, let the spirit of Song of Solomon hover once again. Ravish love. Ravish love. And Lord, I pray. The men and women in this place and across the church of America would rise up. That you would bring them through a spiritual rite of passage. That you bring them through a spiritual rite of passage to know you, to behold you, to have holy moments with you. Words of knowledge, words of prophecy, new tongues, healing, signs, wonders, miracles, Lord God. Let that be our promotion in the things of the Spirit. Let that be our steps into the things of adulthood, Lord. Let us bear the burdens of one another, as your scriptures say. Let us bear and hold responsibility and leadership in the things of God. Hallelujah. I know what I want to do in prayer, but I don't know how it's going to sound. I'm all fired up. If it's time for you to put away childish things, I don't care how old you are. If you're looking, you're like, it's time to put away childish things. And when I was a child, I did the things of a child. When I became a man, I did the things of men. I led. I bore responsibility. I communed with the Father. I stepped and walked into my inheritance. If you personally feel, there's no judgment here. 
if you feel that you need to pony on up, if you feel that you need to pony on up, male or female, old or young, it doesn't matter, if you feel it's time, you need a little push to pony on up into the destiny and calling of the spirit and of ministry, of leadership, of responsibility, of giftings, of callings, of reclaiming the good news and praying for the sick, of boldness, holy fire boldness. We want to pray for you. But only do it if you feel that you need to get out of the nest. Sometimes the little little goslings and little birds just need a little, little push out of the nest. First couple seconds, like, and then they're doing what they were called to do. They're being what they were called to be. A bird. So have a wonderful week. You're welcome to come down and pray. If, if people that feel called to want to pray for other people, then just come on down. And just because you're praying for another person does not mean, does not mean that you've arrived. Come on. It doesn't mean that you've arrived. Come on. From glory to glory to we see Christ Jesus face to face. But you may just feel the unction of praying for someone. So if you need prayer, come on down. If you want to pray for people, come on down. And then just like communicate. Yo, do you want prayer or are you praying? And then we can just all figure it all out, right? Have a wonderful week. Enjoy the coffee. The pastry's downstairs. It might be a tad warm down there. But that's okay. Because you're wild. Amen. Have a wonderful week.